My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Hi there, I'm Courtney, and I'm stepping in for Ali today to host this episode of In the Sauce. I am super excited to be speaking with Lisa Carson and Connie Wang, co-founders of Oko, the pre-measured spice pods, taking the waste out and putting the freshness back into kitchen seasoning. Welcome, Lisa and Connie. So great to have you. Hi. Hey, thank you for having us. Um, so a little background. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the background of your brand. Um, I, I love the concept of these pods. We're always uh, at Haven's Kitchen talking about how to minimize food waste. And we're always um, kind of joking around and talking about how, um, you know, people buy these bottles of spices. They live on people's shelves. They've been there for God knows how long. They get sticky and crusty, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> a little gross. Um, and then people will buy it for like a recipe or if you're anything like me, um, like I'll go to Calustians for like one thing. Mm -hmm. And I get so excited. I end up buying like 16 jars of pepper spices or whatever that I don't know what I need them for, but I just, I'm so excited. And then I'm like, oh shit, like what do <laughs> I use these for? Right. Um, so I, I really, I'm excited to talk to you guys. I want to learn about your story and a little bit about how they came to be. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so this is Lisa. I'll just kind of start with like where it came from. Um, which is such a, it's been a long time in the making to say the least. Um, so I graduated from college in 2012 and I had a bunch of friends that were moving out to Jackson Hole, um, Wyoming. And I figured that would be kind of a fun like gap year thing to do. So I moved out to Jackson Hole and I was writing, I was working like dinky hospitality jobs. I was skiing. Um, it was a nice like kind of break in between college and like the real world. But the idea for Oko really kind of began or the like nascent sort of seeds of it came around that time. Um, so this was like right when Pinterest became a thing. And I was working in this antique rug shop um, and I would like screen grab all of these recipes on my phone or sometimes we even had a printer like way back when I would print them out. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't really like it wasn't cooking for I have two kids and I just have to put something on the table type cooking. It was like hobby cooking. It was someone in their mid early 20s that was making dinner for one or two people max, like two people max, if I had like a friend or someone who was going to eat with me. Um, and I like to try new stuff. And so I was trying a lot of stuff and I was um, getting a lot of new ingredients. And it really struck me in the grocery store that like 50% of the time when there was some interesting, cool recipe that I had never tried before, but I wanted to test it out, I was going to buy like 30 bucks worth of spices or oils or pastes or vinegars or whatever. Um, I felt like I was spending a ton of money on the smallest part of the recipe. And even if I liked the recipe and it was like a good one, that didn't necessarily mean that I made it you know, again, in a short yeah. period of time, or maybe ever. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. you just try it and it's great and you move on. Um, so the idea kind of came to me during that period of my life where I'm standing in the grocery store and I have, you know, the salary of somebody who like works as a cashier at a mountain resort <laughs> and I'm trying to pick out ingredients to put into my cart. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm about to spend like 60 bucks to make this chickens, this girl's like white Tuscan chicken lasagna. <laughs> um, so the idea came there that there was a mismatch in the way that a core set of key flavoring ingredients were sold. And for me, that idea just tumbled right low because I had no idea how to start a company. I had no idea how to make products. You know, I was 23. I, didn't, I had no idea how to do any of this. Um, 
So I moved away from Jackson Hole and I moved to New York and that's where I met my co-founder, Connie Wang. Um, and we were working in digital marketing agencies together. And you know, when you meet your like professional soulmate, like your professional work wife, and you're just like, this makes so much sense. Like we yep. understand how to work together and it feels so freaking good. Yeah, I totally, and that's how I feel about like Marissa, my counterpart yeah. um, and, and Allie. It's like, yeah. how have we not worked together forever? And after, like, whatever happens next in our careers, like, how do we always like, do work do together? Do yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hear you. And the experience of being like, we can actually do things together. Like, we mm -hmm. don't just sit around and like talk about things. Like, we actually were, you know, pitching businesses and running accounts together and doing things. And so our partnership was definitely formed like years before we decided to do this business together. Um, we had like a great working relationship and we would, can I swear on this? I mean, I have, okay. <laughs> and, okay. and Allie still keeps inviting me back to guest host when okay. she's not in town. <laughs> okay. I'll be very selective, but one fits. we would get together and bitch about this problem all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that we both love to cook, love to try new stuff, cooking still that, you know, mid late twenties max mm -hmm. to do people. And also on top of that was the, I'm working in a, a job, a career where I'm getting done with work, maybe six, seven, 8 PM. And you go out to drinks with people. And sometimes you just don't get around to cooking dinner that night. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't feel like it. Yeah. And I so, hear you. Yeah. And so I think this was in the era where meal kit companies were coming up. And so, of course, they were very interesting to us, but we actually didn't really feel like they conclusively solved the problem that we had, which was not necessarily needing someone to send you chicken breast every week. And then it kind of becomes this like ticking time bomb of, oh, no, I can't go out for drinks because I have to make the gnocchi from HelloFresh or whatever. Um, that actually wasn't solving our problem. We just wanted to be able to like meal kitify our grocery cart when we did decide to cook. So it has been a really long journey. And the, you know, those kind of core, maybe four or five years of us, like working together in development, like me and Jackson Hole, like all of that time, I think was really important um, to what we came to, which was something that we knew needed to be definitely about flavor, but also like about convenience and utility. It's like the convenience of a meal kit without the commitment of it. That I feel like mm -hmm. you must have you must be in our Google Docs because we write that <laughs> phrase all the time. Well, I, I also feel like we are that's a similar um, uh, statement that we kind of live and breathe at Haven's yeah. Kitchen. Yeah. You know, we yeah. are we're very much in that same boat of how do we make it a little bit easier for the home cook to get a meal on the table, mm -hmm. uh, whether it is, you know, um, a young uh, you know, girl living in the city who's working really late, wanted to go out for some drinks, but then, you know, have a little bit of, have a salad or whatever with a little bit of sauce or the, the, the stay at home parent that has a gazillion things to do and just needs to feed their kids. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, so I definitely, I think as a brand, we can empathize with, um, the mission, which yep. I think is, you know, admirable. <laughs> um, and it's really awesome that, you know, you guys are, uh, are really tackling a huge problem that I, I personally like can identify with. Um, so look like as I'm listening to your story, um, it feels like there is, and from what I've seen on your website, it feels like it's, it's not just about the mission, but there's also some importance there in the sourcing, right? Can you talk to me a little yeah. bit about how you guys view that? Yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, high quality, like really fresh, delicious spice to us, it sort of felt like you just have to be this tall to ride. Um, you know, like if we're selling somebody less and we're telling them there's a reason you should buy less and like, yeah, there's the convenience piece, but we also like, it just kind of felt like a mandatory, you know, it has to be high quality, good spice because what we don't want to run is a commodity business, just something that's just like, you know, cutting off a tiny little piece and it's not a Splenda packet. I'll say yeah. that. Um, so sourcing is really important. Um, and I actually spent about, you know, a couple months in the summer before we launched our Kickstarter campaign, um, went all over Southeast Asia to learn about the spice supply chain and sourcing and just kind of getting my hands dirty on that. Um, and I think what we've learned in that process is that 
you know, there are a ton of people out there, even domestic, um, who have built these incredibly awesome and like equitable and fresh supply chains um, that we were able to tap into because sourcing is, I could, I mean, I could talk all day about how it's like 800 layers deep. Like there's, you know, so many different middlemen for like a big spice company, um, like somebody that's really selling spice as a commodity. Um, there are so many different players inside that chain. And that was something that we like being two millennials who, of course, like know all of these direct to consumer businesses that built themselves saying, yeah, we just cut out the middleman. It's mattress to you, you know, what like yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, we definitely had like a lot of interest in saying, okay, if we're going to sell people less and we're going to make this argument that less is more, it actually does have to be more on a couple key fronts. And so I think quality origin, like just like the ethics of the supply chain was definitely something that we took great pains to sort of tap into existing supply chains that some really fabulous people are out there building, you know, like Ethan from Burlap and Barrel, um, like other spice companies that are like pretty consumer facing in some respects um, have been great partners to us. So it's mm -hmm. been really interesting learning about the supply chain. Yeah. And I would say like the part of the supply chain that we focused more on, you know, where we thought we could make an impact was more in the packaging. Um, and so, you know, a couple of years ago when we were thinking about this and thinking about what it could look like, um, you know, if it's like bubble wrap or a blister pack or a pod or whatever, um, you know, one thing that came up again and again was just the material. Um, you know, we're both really passionate about the environment. And I guess these days, you know, I think uh, climate change is top of mind for everyone. Um, but at the time, you know, the only options out there really were just plastic and glass. And we have really learned a lot about, you know, how recycling works and how, um, you know, how many times materials can be used and then reused and the quality of that new product, um, you know, how that degrades with every reincarnation. Um, and it was important to us to create something that had more of a closed loop that like, you know, you use it, you recycle it, it becomes a new thing that's usable again in the next like 60 days. Um, and so, you know, through that search, um, we found aluminum. Um, it's, you know, what we learned was that it's the most recyclable, recyclable and recycled material in the world, um, largely because of aluminum cans, you know, a, a, like a can of seltzer you drink today is a can again in 60 days once you put it in the recycling. And the reason why that's so predictable and consistent is because the material has value. You know, you get five cents, um, at least in New York where we are, um, yep. when you recycle the can. Um, and so we set out to try to make an aluminum packaged product. And it was really hard. Um, uh, I think Lisa went to a ton of trade shows. Like we went and visited all these machinists, like all these. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I met so many cool dads named Kevin who like have small <laughs> little machine shops. I mean, because I think um, there is this kind of what I perceive at least to be the pathway for like getting a new food product live is it's about the recipe. Like, you have a special recipe that you want to bring to the world or some special like value proposition about this recipe um, or the, the source and origin of the ingredients. That's like the core thing that you're focused on bringing to the world. Whereas for us, and I think you guys are pretty similar on this too, in that the form factor is part of what makes it interesting to people and part of what the problem you're trying to solve. And so when we approached co-packers about this product and this idea, the answer was just resounding no everywhere. Um, and so we have like absolutely been up and down, you know, the Eastern seaboard, uh, to be fair, America, <laughs> I've been all over America <laughs> trying to solve this problem. Um, and what we found was that if we wanted to make the product on aluminum, we were going to do it ourselves. And that felt to us like a meaningful enough um, iteration on, you know, what kind of products are out there. And it was really important to us, like Connie said, not because, you know, not, not aluminum because, because the, because the sustainability claims are not just marketing. 
And I think that when you see a plastic bottle and it's marketed as it's made out of 25% RPET, recycled PET, um, that's a marketing claim. That's not actually a truly circular sustainability claim. Um, it doesn't really have utility out in the world. And, you know, like Connie said, it's like the aluminum actually makes sense, the economy, the, the economics of it square. And so it was just something that launched us off into this world of automated manufacturing, custom engineering, like tons and tons of disciplines that we just had no experience in. Um, but we've just had to learn it all from the fire hose. And today we do operate our own manufacturing, um, really, you know, kind of holistic, like from a 360 degree perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been a really crazy, (laughs) crazy endeavor to do. Um, So actually, I feel like I have a couple of questions here. I've first off, I've learned something new. I, as a, a native New Yorker, I, I've recycled my whole life, but it's always kind of been like this obscure thing. Nobody really knows what happens. You kind of put the plastic to one side, but then everything gets picked up and gets, you know, put in the same you know, uh, yes. truck, yeah. um, you know, we, we observe it, but it's almost like nobody has a lot of faith in it. <laughs> and I think, yeah. you know, we're, we're starting to realize now as a society, why that doesn't happen. Like, you know, why that is, um, I did not realize that aluminum was the most recyclable and recycled material. Um, and just to make sure that I'm understanding, you're saying that because when it gets repurposed into something else, it doesn't degrade yeah, as would okay. plastic. Yeah. And so the, the economics of making brand new aluminum, it's refined from bauxite, um, like the mineral, or I think that's a mineral. Don't call me on that. Um, but it's, it's don't worry. Like, I'm not a science person. I'm over here just like, mm, okay. Mineral fact checking <laughs> this podcast. Um, no, it's refined from bauxite and this is an incredibly expensive process. And to be fair, there are are a fair, decent amount of emissions associated with this process too. But once you get it refined into aluminum, um, there's like virtually somebody somewhere is going to check me on this and say, no, there's a 0.0001% loss. Okay, sure. But, you know, from like a usability standpoint and thinking about which kind of circular systems are actually going to make sense, aluminum is a metal. It's going to get melted down and remade into something again versus um, plastic, like as a polymer, you know, it just, it changes with every time it's melted and like every reuse, you know, like you can only downstream plastic so many times until it's, it really has no utility for any product whatsoever. And it just goes to the ocean or the land, you know, land, which ultimately gets into the ocean. Got it. Um, And so like for you guys, obviously, this is the most sustainable option for the product that you guys have. Um, and just so, just so that I'm understanding and so that our, our listeners can understand for the, anybody who hasn't like mm-hmm. tried your products, yeah. these are little pods that are totally yeah. airtight, right? Yeah. 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 And that's one of the properties of aluminum that was really attractive to us. It's a perfect um, barrier against light and moisture and air. Um, and so that's kind of what is able to keep the spice fresh. You know, we, um, just to talk a little bit more about the process, um, you know, when we're filling the pods with spice, which, you know, is about a half teaspoon, so it's itty bitty. Um, but before we seal it, um, we'll, we'll do run a flush, like a, a nitrogen blanket over the spice and the nitrogen is heavier than air. So it sinks down and it displaces the oxygen and basically kicks it out of the pod um, so that the spice doesn't, you know, oxidize and lose its flavor and um, essential oil content that gives it the taste. You guys became like food scientists in this process, I'm assuming, because <laughs> this is like legit science. <laughs> in, a mad, in a mad scientist way. Like, right? But yeah. And you guys were digital marketers when you guys met? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. if we wanted to jump away from being consultants, like wish granted. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's because you guys are talking about this and I am like, oh my God, they are, you're so well versed. Obviously, this is your product. But like you guys sound like mad scientists. So how long did it take you guys to get this process right? Like how long did it take you to figure out how to take this idea, this put it in the packaging and like and completely conceptualize it and, and, and make it a viable product? I would say from like 
the moment that we were like, okay, we're doing it. We're jumping in. Like we're going to quit our job. Like we're going, cause we talked about it quite before then. It was maybe round trip two years full time of just like fighting this uphill battle of we have a product blueprint and we have a couple key features that we need reflected in the physical product and getting to the place where we were actually running it off the line two and a half years Mm -hmm. maybe. And I mean, like, I will just say this. I, whenever someone asks me about like, should I start my company? My bit, I'm always like, you know what? Truthfully, you can do whatever you want to do. If you just want, if you just like it enough and are obsessed enough with the problem and can focus, because I feel like our business has required us to your point to like learn so much random shit that never did I think I would become like an expert on how like machines and stuff like this run. And I'm still learning. Like mm-hmm. when we procured our machine, who we lovingly call old woo, it's oh. a proprietary piece of equipment that was built overseas. And I mean, talk about doing things for the first time. Like you wire over like all the money you have in the world to some random bank account in another country. And you're like, I really hope that was a good move. <laughs> um, oh my God, well, cross your fingers. Yeah, like the wine store I go to was like, are you okay? Um, like- <laughs> you know, you do that. And we had in our head, okay, we're getting a machine. You know, we've designed this machine. We've worked with engineers to put together this proprietary system and they're going to build it and it's going to land. And then we're going to plug it into the wall and turn it on because that was my experience with how machines work up until that point. It's like a microwave. It's binary. You tell it to do something, it either does it or it doesn't. So Um, it, it took you guys two, two and a half years Mm-hmm. So this is like full on commitment. Um, I, I'm not a founder, but I, I watch Allie, you know, I've watched her really grow this business over the last three and a half ish years that we've you know been working together. Um, and I see how much she's learned, you know, in, in about every single facet of the business. So mm-hmm. I can imagine you guys are in a very similar boat. Um, you had to really believe that you guys were onto some good shit. If not, you'd probably be crazy, right? Yes. At what point in this journey did you realize like you were onto something that was that like made this journey worth it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, just like you were saying at the very top of the pod, um, you know, this is a problem that's really relatable, that resonates with anyone who has ever cooked, you know, period, you know, anyone who's ever tried to make a new recipe, it's just such a pain to go spend a bunch of money on things that you might only use one time. Um, And so just talking about it with family and friends, like, you know, it was clear that it was a pain point for, for many people. Um, But, you know, like, definitely it would have been a huge leap to go on this crazy two-year manufacturing (laughs) adventure without at first, you know, at least trying to get a temperature check on, um, you know, if people would buy such a product, if there was even a market, even though there were so many people who were like, oh my God, that's my problem too. Um, And so, you know, before, um, uh, shoot, before the pandemic, about a year, like 2019-ish, like we launched a Kickstarter um, with a very sort of beta form factor just to get a temperature check on the idea and see if we, you know, if we put into it the messaging and kind of the, um, the solve that we thought would be interesting, um, you know, if others would agree and if others would put money behind it and support us in this crazy adventure. Um, and so that was a really good experience because, you know, we set out to raise around $20,000 to, to do our fact finding and find a co-packer, whatever. And we ended up raising $80,000 um, oh, in wow. about a month. Yeah, it was really awesome because, um, you know, we just made like a prototype out of plastic and spray painted it yeah. to look like aluminum at the time. Like <laughs> even at that point, we weren't even sure so how budget. to make it. Yeah. So budget. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Real scrappy, you know, I like it. Yeah, yeah. but it was that, that um, I guess, initial success that at least told us, you know, we're not crazy. Like this would yeah. not all be for nothing. Like yeah. we got a crew. And I also, every time I go to the store, 
of course I go to the aisle, the spice aisle, just to take a peek. Of course. And every, of course. <laughs> um, every time I go, I, I notice that the smallest jars are usually the most sold out. And there's data floating around in the universe that, you know, data can be cherry picked, sure. But there's, there's data and proof points that sort of wink at me all the time around the universe. And then also I think like, there's just a component, like you mentioned, just being a founder and like, why, like, how do you keep believing in this? Like, there's kind of a level of craziness to a certain point. Like, there is a level of just faith that you just, mm-hmm. you just believe that this is a real problem, that this is a big problem, that, that a solution, the solution that you're putting forward, some iteration of it is going to solve that problem. Like, I never have laid awake at night and wondered if the problem was real or if the problem was big enough. I'll lay awake at night and think about loads of other issues that are like existential and, you know, totally crisis level issues. But never once have I laid awake and questioned the problem. So I would say that we both have this kind of like almost spiritual level faith that like we're not making this up and that this is a real problem that other people have. Yeah, no, I I totally understand. I would even say, um, you know, um, as somebody who isn't a founder, um, you have to, you know, when you put so much time and energy and love into, uh, something that you have this much faith in, you know, it, at some point it's just like, you know, it's, you know, it in your gut if, if there, if it's, if it's right or if it's not, you just Um, have beliefs about it, you know? Yeah, no, you're told, I totally hear you. Um, and I think, you know, Haven's Kitchen, similarly, um, we're, we're out to, you know, solve a problem and the problem does exist. Um, and I think also being able to raise 80 K when your original goal was 20, that's also gotta be a little bit of a confidence booster that, um, other people also see that value. Yeah, um, sure. Awesome. Totally. So we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Um, see you in a few. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Courtney stepping in for Allie this week, and I'm back with Lisa Carson and Connie Wang, co-founders of OGO. Uh, So we talked a little bit about supply chain and packaging and, um, you know, are you crazy for, you know, putting in all of this, you know, work in in, and um, learning all of the science behind it? which you're not, we've also established. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she says um, <laughs> but now I, I'm really excited to kind of talk a little bit about um, an area that I am personally interested as the director of brand marketing here at Haven's Kitchen, um, sales and marketing. Um, and so before we jump into the marketing, marketing stuff on the sales side, um, I have explored your website. You have a really cool experience, a digital experience there. Um, are you only D to C? So we launched thinking that we would be, and then so many, you know, kind of unique opportunities that we just hadn't really even thought of crawled out of the woodwork. And we definitely like launched thinking we would be a D2C company and are finding ourselves now that we actually have like a fair amount of distribution in traditional retail and like third-party sellers and stuff like that. So we really thought we were going, we thought we were going out that way, but um, we've, we definitely have like built out some different channels too. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, um, cause 
I would, I would totally pick you guys up if you were in my local retailer. Um, as like an, an avid home cook myself, I'm always cooking like new things. I'm always trying new things. Um, and I experienced that problem that we just talked about um, a few minutes ago. Um, and like maybe the only thing that I use, I have to buy a big bottle of is adobo because, you know, I'm Hispanic, I'm Puerto Rican. So I put adobo on everything. Um, (laughs) anything other than that, I'm like always looking for the small, you know, the smaller bottles, like you said. Um, and so how was, when did you guys start launching into retail and like, what was that journey of going from D to C to retail like? It's still evolving. Yeah, I would say it was super organic. You know, I think one thing about our product is that it's a super unique form factor and people have not necessarily seen anything like this before. And so we knew that we had to be kind of just really open and listen to how people wanted to use the product. And so I think partly because of that, you know, when folks just started reaching out from, I don't know, like mom and pops across the country, whether they're gift shops or cooking focus shops or whatever, you know, we were just like, okay, like if you want to sell like chef, you know, May Lynn's like kebabs um, recipe seasoning kits, like cool, you know, like let us know how it goes. (laughs) And the funny thing about running your own manufacturing and fulfillment, because by the time we finished the manufacturing, we were like, why don't we just do it fulfillment too? Um, the funny thing about doing that is when someone's like, oh yeah, but what are your MOQs? I'm like, whatever I say, is <laughs> me. Like, you know, yes. really whatever we want it to be. So we have been able to like try a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm, I am, it took me actually a second to, to realize that like you, the way that you guys, your, your D to C experience on the site is you you sell your recipe I'm sorry the um the spice kits mm-hmm. almost in the form of a recipe yeah so the fundamental product I guess we call it Legos um is the spice packed into the spice pods and we carry currently over 80 different spices and the magic is in how we mix and match those um for different use cases you know like some chefs or some home cooks like to just put in a little bit of this a little bit of that and voila they have um you know a magic delicious thing that can never be recreated again for those people we have the spice cards um, that are like analogous to the jars that you might find in the grocery store Um, and for other folks I guess like more like us um you know who want to try things one time new recipes one time um we have recipe cards and the idea of that is um you know one of our top chefs um has created a recipe and there's exactly eight half teaspoons of spice along with instructions and ingredients that you can use to recreate a special thing in your own kitchen um if that helps yeah 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 I think at the highest level, like in terms of marketing, and I use the word merchandising, I've been told in a unique way, like merchandising for us, to Connie's point, like the spice pods are kind of these Legos that we use to assemble all different kinds of like what I would call merchandising, which is why these pods together? Why are you getting them? Because not being in Whole Foods yet with like, you know, just being able to shop by the pod. And that is definitely on our product roadmap at some point. Um, we do feel like we have to kind of tell people what you're meant to do with it. And what we have been finding on the marketing merchandising side is that there are a lot of different demographics who want a lot of different things from our product. So some people really connect to, oh, this is cool. I buy rose petal for one recipe, but then I'm not going to use it again two years later. This keeps it fresher. That sounds good. Another person, you know, connects with, I wanted to try this recipe, but I don't have lemon garlic powder and ajapanka chili. This gives me the exact portions I need to try it the one time. I'm going to save some money. It's super convenient. So I would say our online experience right now is reflective of the fact that we have to be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And that's probably also just a symptom of being a pretty young brand. I mean, We've been working on this business for what feels like ages, but we've actually only been in market for six months. Yeah, I can empathize with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, because it's and not only that, but you're you're in a space that is as old as the day is long. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. people have this idea of how to shop for spices, and you have to retrain them. And yeah. And, yeah. and I say that I say that confidently because we experience the same thing. I always joke. I always joke around with Ali that like, why couldn't you just make? Why couldn't we be a cracker? <laughs> it would make it would make all of our jobs so much easier <laughs> you know and she laughs and we laugh about it and then we're like all right we actually gotta we have to figure this like out like to it yeah exactly yeah. because we're teaching people how to shop for you know condiments in the refrigerated aisle we're teaching them to buy it in a pouch we're teaching them that um what romesco or t- golden tahini is and then we also want to teach them how to cook so like how yeah. do we streamline that messaging. Um, and it really is a journey. And I'm telling you all, it happens to us all the time where we have to remind ourselves we are a young brand also. Yeah. Um, so it's really great that you guys are kind of easy, not easy, but like, um, that you give, you cut yourself a little bit of slack because I mean, six months only, you know, like I, I, it's incredible. I mean, I think, like I said, it took me a minute when I got onto the site but then once I fig- once I realize it, once my brain clicked, it's it just it makes so much sense. And I think it's it's a really cool concept of being able to like shop by this recipe and and use these spices um, and not have you know a shit ton of bottles hanging around that you find two and a half years later. <laughs> yeah, um, like to that point, I mean, we definitely. I always get like it's interesting what you're saying about you guys too, that you're like, yeah, we have to teach people so much. Getting the business live has absolutely been a crash course in a reminder that a regular like customer, I hate calling people consumers. I'm like, let's just people, people mm-hmm. do not sit around and think about you as you know, as long as you've been sitting around and thinking about this product and all the things that are so obvious to us about this, somebody yeah. who has never seen this product before and they see it and they need to get it in like minimum five seconds. That's a tall order, actually. Like, that's actually like really tough to do. Um, And so I think the task at hand for us for the next like six months to a year is truly like kind of turning down the screws on what kind of merchandising makes the most sense for the business and the brand that we're trying to build. It's like, the form factor is here and the form factor and the product is really cool. And we have like, uh, you know, a million different like perspectives on all of that. But then the question is, how do we make it relevant to somebody and meet them where it's actually going to click in under five seconds? Um, and that's a really, that like, that's a crazy Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's going to take a little it's longer like, than six to 12 months, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see. I mean, I feel like it's just one of those things where it is a, it's like a never, it's a never ending journey. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. you know, your messaging is and I think that's something that I've I've learned in, in my career on the marketing side. It's like ju- just when you think you've nailed it, something else, something changes. There's a new platform out there. There's a new, you know, a new generation. There's a new way of, of communicating. There's a new technology out there that people are now communicating with and figuring out how to optimize that messaging kind of everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um, but it, it's it sounds like a lot of fun. You know, I, I kind of, it kind of just reminds me of, of, of everything that we go through. And even though it is a head scratcher sometimes and can get a little frustrating, um, it, it is a lot of fun to be able to, to spearhead these categories that have been so, um, stale for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think at the end of the day, we both really love making stuff, be it a video or like a deck, (laughs) God forbid, (laughs) um, or a product, you know, recipe or product. Like the joy of wanting to just like make something is definitely like a big vibe that runs through a big undercurrent that runs through the entire business. Um, Because there are so many different ways that we can like click our product together to make different things. And I, I think that, you know, you're to your point, it's, it can be overwhelming and there's like a ton of, you know, total horseshit that you have to go through, but it is fun because it's fun to make stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, as I'm going through your website, um, you know, I'm, I'm 
I can't get over like the, the, the recipe cards. Like I'm really, I really just love the concept of it. I also see that you have, um, like, it seems like a chef partnerships. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Um, I know if, um, my colleague Maddie, who runs all of our partnerships, if I end this podcast without asking about it, she'll kick me under the table. (laughs) I have to ask, tell me a little bit more about those partnerships. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, as we mentioned, like, you know, we're two digital marketing people. Um, we have no business telling other people what to cook (laughs) was kind of where we were coming from when we were like thinking about the recipe product offering and how we really wanted it to be robust. And, um, you know, Lisa always says like, you know, you don't go on the Betty Crocker website or whatever, um, and just like make a recipe they suggest. I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, well, when people, when brands like make recipes, like who makes them, you kind of need we like a third party, you know, reputable um, to, so you can believe in it and actually go buy the thing and invest the time and make yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of to that end, like we were looking around, you know, thinking who can we partner with on some recipes to launch Oco? Um, and we kind of just fell to, you know, some of our favorite top chefs, mm-hmm. um, literally from the show and from Instagram and from all over. Um, and so we wanted to cultivate kind of a, a diverse set of folks, um, you know, and the two of us just between us, like we do cook pretty differently. Um, and so we wanted that to be represented. Yeah. Um, and so we have six chefs that we have launched with, um, today. And, you know, there's all different kinds of cuisines, um, and just like inflections of American, I guess, um, you know, we work with a Korean American chef from San Francisco, um, another chef, a Caribbean Creole from New Orleans, um, a more a Venezuelan chef based in New York and, you know, folks from all over who speak to different tastes that I think, and flavors that are kind of exciting in, Mm -hmm. in the world right now. Um, and here's a simple, here's a really simple way to think about it that drives how we think about it. Food has meaning when it has context. When the recipe that you're cooking means something to you or has been contextualized by some like authority figure or like somebody that you feel like kind of has the authority to speak on this topic. We really wanted to make sure that our food had context. Mm-hmm. I, I love that though. Food has meaning when it has context. Mm-hmm. And so take it or leave it. You guys can cut this out if this doesn't work for you. But I really like when I think about something that gets me really excited about our brand and the future and what we could be doing in the future, I think about where people get recipe inspiration. And I predominantly get recipes from Instagram, sometimes Pinterest, if I'm looking for a specific recipe, but like it's people that I follow and sometimes they'll put out a cookbook and I'll buy the cookbook and I'll look through the cookbook and that'll be where I cook from too, or like a magazine. Um, but to Connie's point, I've never gone to McCormick.com and said, what should I cook today? And so in the future, you know, something that I think could be really, really cool would be to kind of build like a platform approach that says, Hey, digital content creator who like, you know, food blogger lady, who has like a hundred thousand followers or, or something like that, which is like nothing to shake its stick at, but like the deal flow may not necessarily be Chrissy Teigen level deal flow yet. Here's a tool that could help you monetize the recipe content that you're already creating. Like as a user, like consumer person who uses Instagram and saves recipes and screen grabs them. If there was a tool that allowed me to just like quickly add to like some kind of cart, all the, uh, you know, annoying, tough to find, only need a pinch ingredients. And then you go get the chicken, the broccoli, the cheese, whatever. I would cook the people that I follow. I would cook their food way more often, Mm -hmm. but it's when I get in the weeds on those kind of challenging, annoying ingredients that I sort of fall off the wagon with the recipe. And so you know, one thing about food having meaning when it has context is like, is there a way that we could build a brand that has like utility and value to the people that are creating this content, creating these recipes and sharing these foods? And I think the six chefs we went out with, we definitely 
wanted to go out with people that represented different kinds of foods and had, you know, really built their own unique platform around the types of food that they cook. And I'm just really excited to do more of that in the future. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love, I love the, I love the concept of it. I love um, how you guys present um, the chefs that you're working with. Um, and it, it really feels like you've, you've taken the time to, to not just like have them create a recipe, but like be involved in um, the process of creating that context for that recipe. Yeah, um, I really love it's it's super evident. I love that. Yeah, that's great that you that that. Came do you want to hear a funny story about that? Is that <laughs> one time we were describing like this kind of platform approach and our you know our background thinking on recipes, and it was like an investor type, and he goes like an MLM. how dare you like it's just so funny when you start when you start talking to people in that community about how you're going to cut in you know you want to bring like chefs and content creators and people like that like into your business model and be like no we want to build something for you I still will wake up cackling sometimes and think yes like an MLM (laughs) oh god I I feel like we we can have a, a whole nother uh, conversation about all of the crazy things that you guys um, talk about with investors and people who are interested in the brand. Um, I'd love okay. to have that conversation one day. <laughs> um, so, all right, we're running up a little bit against the t- clock here, um, but I want to ask you a couple more questions. The best advice you could give an up and coming young brand. Great. I'll go first. <laughs> no pressure. We're just looking at each other like uh yeah, yeah you I guess for me, um there's so many things, but I think, you know, one thing that has really given opened a lot of doors for us early on, um that has paid dividends is investment in brand and marketing and I I know you get that, you know, with your role at Haven's Kitchen. Um, But for us, you know, we're super new. You know, we don't have a ton to spend on marketing. It's really word of mouth and a little bit of PR and just the product that, you know, has to get out there and people have to tell people. And the the everything from like the logo mark to the look and feel to the website. I mean, we worked with such wonderful people who helped us be so thoughtful about everything. Um, and it came out better than we could have hoped. Um, and it really is something that has made us look, I think, more adult and more legit than sometimes we feel. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it, it's just opened so many doors. I can't say enough about that. And whatever that means to you with, you know, the budget and the resources you have, I just think it's just worth it. You know, do the thing. Yeah. If you build it, maybe they'll come. <laughs> you need to tell people. To. My, I would give the advice to somebody who wanted to start a thing. I would just say, don't be afraid to just have days. Like this journey that we've been on has taken us from like these crazy depths of, oh my God, what are we going to do about manufacturing? Like things go wrong and how much work you have to do and like what a mountain you have to climb to do the thing you want to do it's all of that is just, it lives in the future. It's just anxiety that lives in the future. Just have a day, just do one day worth of work. And like, just because that's how we do, that's how we run our business is we're just chipping away at this problem day after day. And I think that sometimes it can be easy when you have like kind of a hill to climb to get demoralized or discouraged. And you know, that hill and that journey ahead of you, It doesn't actually exist anywhere except in your mind. So just have a day, you know, like they'll add up and you'll get somewhere and you don't have to have all the answers. But if you can just be here and do the work in one, you do one day's worth of work, then that's kind of all the world is ever going to ask of you. Yeah. Just like be present. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, you just be present and do what you can. I think both pieces um, of advice I'm, I, I love um, the first one investment in brand and marketing because hello, please keep me employed, Ali. Um, 
<laughs> um, and, and just being, you know, being present and, and having, and having a day and being okay with it sometimes, even when it doesn't feel okay, is also something that I, I, I feel like we've all been there. Um, and when you're trying to build something new from scratch, um, in a category and during a time as, as, as tough as, you know, the times that we're living in right now, uh, it, to be, to be a brand in an emerging category, it's, um, even harder. Um, so I love that. So the big, the bigger question to kind of, um, end our conversation is like, what's next guys? <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, first we have to get through holiday. Um, oh, don't remind me. <laughs> for everybody. Um, but for next year, you know, we're really excited to dig into the retail challenge more. Um, we're doing an accelerator for that and doing trade shows. And, you know, the world is opening back up and we're ready to just get out there more. Yeah. More spaghetti oh. to the wall. Like one, you know, one one thing that we're very able to do is try a lot of different stuff. Cause we took the pains to put all of the things that need to happen to try new stuff in our control. So we're just gonna try. We're just gonna be out here, you know, wilding out on ideas for the next I love that. Yeah. And I love the um spaghetti on the wall. It's a much less vulgar version of what I always say. Use your imagination. And I think I've said it multiple times on this podcast. (laughs) Again, Allie, thank you for continuing to let me guest host when you are out of town. I hope you are listening to this with a glass of wine in your hand, relaxing. (laughs) HR is like, you are a liability. Right? Um, No, yeah. I I think just trying stuff and whatever you want to call it makes its way on the wall. Mm-hmm. It's a worthwhile exercise. Yes, I'm so excited to for next year for you guys because um, I mean retail it's a monster in itself. Um, yeah. I'm I'm excited to to follow up with you guys in a few months and and catch up because I feel like you guys have a really exciting and long journey ahead of you, and I'm 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 just so psyched for you guys. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been so much fun talking to you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys for taking the time for coming onto the show. Uh, people can find you at eatoco.com. That is E-A-T-O-C-C-O.com. Go check them out. Um, it is an awesome product, the brand. And I, can I just say, I love the logo. And like when you scroll up and down, how it does that little like shimmy. <laughs> I love it. Everybody go onto the website and see what I'm talking about. (laughs) Thank you, Armin, our engineer. Ali will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.